Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Northminster Church. We are so glad that you are here, whether you're joining us in person or online. We are thankful that you have taken this time to worship with us. A few announcements for you this morning before we begin. Uh, looking at our calendar, the first is to remind you that tonight at 6 p.m. is our potluck dinner that everyone is invited to. That will be followed at 7 by a business meeting. I know those are not the most interesting things that we do as a church, but they are important. So I hope you will make plans to be here. I also want to say a word of welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We are glad that you are here. We hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. As a reminder, we are returning to our pre-COVID process of going through communion. So this side will come out into the center aisle. You will come out into this side aisle, come around, get communion, go back to your seats. I know you guys have got this by now, but just to make sure we've said the instructions again, there you go. I'm sure you've also noticed this morning the beautiful floral arrangement on the communion table. Uh, do please avail yourselves of those uh, gorgeous roses and birds of paradise after uh, the worship service is over. Take those home. Let those brighten your day or someone else's so that they can continue to be an extended ministry of our church. I also want to make sure to draw your attention to our prayer list and pay attention to those who are on that. And now I'm going to have Craig come up and give us uh, an update on next Sunday. Next Sunday in worship will be a very important and exciting time as we officially install Reverend Jillian Handcammer as our senior pastor. Jillian has invited Reverend Kyle Childress to bring her installation sermon. For 40 years, Kyle has been the pastor of Austin Heights Baptist Church in Nacogdoches, Texas, where Jillian grew up, and uh, he is an outstanding preacher, pastor, and person, and we're so glad he and his wife Jane will be able to be with us on this important occasion. And following worship, the Pastor Search Committee will be hosting lunch for the entire congregation here in our building, or maybe if the weather's nice enough, we can set up some tables out uh, under our shade trees, and the lunch will be catered by Catfish Charlie's. So please plan to stay after worship next Sunday for a good time of food, table fellowship, and celebration. And since Northminster folks are such good dessert makers, we will be providing our own desserts. And being Northminster, we have a sign-up sheet. So if you can provide a dessert for next Sunday, please indicate that on the sign-up sheet on the table outside the pastor's office. And we will see you all again next Sunday. Thank you, Craig. Now, a couple of notes as you look at your order of worship this morning, specifically around our children's message, which we, uh, I think, went very well last week, and we're going to continue to do that this week. You will notice uh, there's a hymn right before the children's message. Kids, I want you to come up and come sit on the stairs with me during the final verse of that hymn. There are four verses. So as soon as that fourth verse starts, y'all come on up, we'll sit on the stairs, don't push, don't shove, don't jump, don't run. We will come, we'll sit on the stairs, we will wait for that hymn to be over, we will have our children's message, then you will be able to go back to your seats or back to the back. Adults, we're going to give them some traveling music to make that transition a little easier. So you will notice those italicized words. Those are the uh, third stanza of uh, hymn 70 in your hymnal, if you would like to look at that. 
We're going to sing that as the kids make their way uh, back to their seats, just to ease that transition a touch. So I think that's the only thing that's a little bit different this morning. Everything else should be just a good, normal Northminster worship service. So now with all of those announcements made, let's take a deep breath together. We take this deep breath to settle ourselves, to move from instructions and reminders into worship. So take a deep breath. Close your eyes if that helps you. Focus on this special time that we have together because it is precious. As you breathe in, breathe in the goodness of this loving space. Breathe in the joy of being surrounded by people who love you. Breathe in the quiet of this sacred room. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out the homework that isn't done, breathe out all of those things we carry with us into this space and this time, and then let us worship God together. If you would, please join me in our call to worship. Come and worship, all you who love and serve the Lord. Old-timers and newcomers, founders and visitors. The young, the experienced, and the in Come as you are. For this is God's house, a house of worship, inclusion, and respect for all people. God welcomes all those who sincerely gather in this space to sing, to hear, to pray, to learn, to share. Thanks be to God.
time for creators sets free to return to the spirit world above. It had now been 40 days since he had come back to life again. So he gathered his followers one last time to give them their final instructions. The remaining 11 of his followers journeyed to Circle of Nations. There at the mountain where Creator Sets Free had told them to go, they met with him. When they saw him, they gave to him the honor he deserved, but there were still some who doubted. All the authority of the spirit world above and the earth below has been given to me, he told them. So now I am sending you into all nations to teach them how to walk the road with me. You will represent me as you perform the purification ceremony with them, initiating them into the life of beauty and harmony represented in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Holy Spirit. You will then teach them all the ways that I instructed you to walk in. Creator sets free, then looked into their faces with love and great affection. He lifted his hands towards them and spoke these final blessing words over them. Never forget, he said, as he began to rise up into the spirit world above. I will always be with you, your invisible guide, walking beside you until the new age has fully come. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God.
Yes. Okay. We talked about different things in the church. And do you remember what the name for the pieces of fabric on the pulpit and the lectern in the community book hall? Do you remember? Starts with a P. Anybody? Okay. They're called paraments. And I told you that word because that's not a word you use anywhere but in church. And I also mentioned that this, that all the pastors wear, this is part of those pyramids. You notice that it matches. It's the same color. This is called a stole. And I thought I would tell you more about stoles today. Okay? So I brought several. These, all, these are all mine. Um, well, this one isn't. This one I borrowed from the church because it's really pretty. But these are mine. And you're going to notice a couple of things. So let me show you this one. What color is this one? Purple. And do you see what those are? What are those? Candles. Candles. Any idea what those are for? Church. Yes, church. Good. <laughs> they are also more specifically, I should have said more specifically, they're for Advent. So I wear this still during Advent because there are the four candles for the Sundays of Advent and then the one for Christmas. And then I flip it over. What color is that? White. White. Anybody know what that is on there? What is that? Anybody know? The place where they put Jesus. Do you remember what that's called? A manger. Yeah. So this one is specifically for Christmas. Okay. This one. What color is this one? White. Also white. Yes. But it's a little bit different. What is that on there? It's a flower. This is a dogwood flower. It's my favorite flower in the whole world. And my mom actually made this. Now it needs to be cleaned. It's kind of dirty. But my mom made this for me when I was ordained, made it by hand, and gave it to me as a gift. And I wear this one a lot, but specifically during Easter. And then here's the last one. Colors this? Red. Red. Do you see what symbols are on that? What is that green one? A triangle. Anybody know what that blue one? It looks like a Mickey Mouse. It kind of looks like a Mickey Mouse. You're right. But it has three parts to it for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what the triangle is about, too. This one you wear for Pentecost, which kind of looks like a circle. So here's the other thing I want to show you about all of these. They're all different colors. They have different things on them for different times of the year. But they are all shaped the same. What shape is that, do you say? What would you say that is? It's kind of like a half circle. Does it look like a letter to anybody? A U. It looks like a U. Yeah. And they all do. Look at this. They all kind of look like a U. This one has a bigger point on it, doesn't it? Does anybody know why? No? I wonder if any of the adults know why. <laughs> Stoles are shaped like this because they are supposed to symbolize that whoever wears one is yoked to God. Do you know what a yoke is? Not the yoke of an egg. A yoke you put on an animal. Does anybody know what one of those is? Okay. Not a chicken. A little too small. These are for big animals. Like cows. So when... Not a giraffe. No. That'd be fun. So when you're out, back in the old days, before we had machines, and people would work in the fields and have to 
plow the fields to get them ready to plant things. They would put a yoke, which is a big thing made out of wood, to put two big cows or oxes together so that they could pull the plow and plow the field. And it's a big thing, went over their neck and kind of held them in place, let the farmer and the cows work as a team. That's what this symbolizes. Now, that doesn't mean that pastors are cows, okay? <laughs> don't call us that, we don't like it. What it means is we are yoked to God. It means we are teamed up with God to do God's work. Now, does that make me better than anybody else? No. no. Does that make me smarter than anybody else? No. But it does mean I have made a promise that this is the work I'm going to do in my life. So wearing a stole is a really special thing because you really should only wear it after you're ordained and you make that commitment. So that's why if you ever go to an ordination service, you will see that the person is given a stole because it's a very special, important symbol of the promise that pastors make to do this kind of work. We get to hang out with you guys, to teach you things, to preach and to play the organ and lead the choir. So every time you see one of these, I want you to remember the colors are important, but this is a way for us to show our promise that we made to God, to you, and to all of you. Did you learn something? That's the right answer. Good job. <laughs> all right. Now, we're going to say our prayer together. I would like for you all to turn around and face the congregation because you are, in fact, leading this, and they don't bite, I promise. I'll say the first line. I want you to say it back to me nice and loud. Are you ready? Okay. Sit up, sit up, sit up. Nice and tall. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you. presence of God, and we do not meet alone. With the angels in the highest heaven, we gather to worship the Lord. 
With Abraham and Sarah, we gather to worship the Lord. With the saints of every age, we gather to worship the Lord. We embark on our own journey of faith in the presence of God, and we do not journey alone. Generous God, you gave us our voices, no two the same. As you did with Abraham and Sarah, you take and touch our lives, and they can become extraordinary. And in your church, you have gathered us, in your community of common folk and complainers, prophets and puzzled people, you have called us and made a place for us. So let what we say and what we do here, what we ponder and decide here, be real for us and honest to you as you prepare us for the life of the world in which you are to be loved and praised. Amen. A reading from Genesis. <clears throat> one day the Eternal One called out to Abram, saying, Abram, get up and go. Leave your country, leave your relatives and your father's home, and travel to the land I will show you. Don't worry, I will guide you there. I have plans to make a great people from your descendants, and I am going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and example to others. I will also bless those who bless you and further you in your journey, and I'll trip up those who try to trip you along the way. Through your descendants, all of the families of the earth will find their blessing in you. Without any hesitation, Abram went. He did exactly as the Eternal One asked him to do. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took with him his wife, Sarai, his brother's son, Lot, all of their possessions, and all of the persons they had acquired for their household while in Haran, and they all set out off toward the land of Canaan. When they reached Canaan, Abram kept going through it to a sacred place called Shechem, where the Oak of Moriah stood. At this time, the Canaanite people were living on this land, so Abram could not take it as his own. There, the Eternal appeared to Abram, saying, I am going to give this land to your future generations. So, out of honor and respect, there Abram built an altar table to the Eternal One who had appeared to him and spoken these words of promise. After that, Abram traveled on to the hill country east of Bethel, and there he pitched a tent and made a home for himself and his family between Bethel in the west and Ai in the east. Here Abram built another altar table for the Eternal One, where he called upon the name of the Eternal frequently. Then Abram journeyed south toward the native region. A story of following where God leads. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. I don't know why God chose me, why God made me the go-to guy. Had I even interacted with the Eternal before I was given these instructions to go from my home. 
All these years later, my memory fails me, but what I retain is the feeling being, of being found by God at that moment in my life. What I can tell you for certain is that before our time together, the Eternal had taken a broader approach to human relationships. What I mean is before me, God had tried working with humanity as a whole. Surely you remember the stories of the Great Flood and the tower that was built to make people famous and bring them closer to God, and I'm sure you remember how those ended. When God sought me out after a period of learning the ins and outs of humanity, I was still surprised that God wanted to try again. But with me, the Eternal's approach was narrow, one-on-one, focused. For better or worse, I was squarely in God's eyeline, which is likely what I needed to get my life unstuck. Let me explain. I am from Ur, what you would call Babylon. My father, Terah, was the original family man. He loved me and my brothers, Nehor and Haran, with his whole heart. He was thick as thieves with my wife, Sarai, and his grandchildren were his delight. I think that's why it felt as though there was a with Haran portion of our lives and a post Haran portion of our lives. My brother's death was an epoch unto itself, changing us in ways I'm still figuring out. The most immediate change is that Haran's passing pushed my father to leave Ur for Canaan. Nahor and his family stayed. They were settled in our homeland, but Haran's son, my nephew Lot, was unmoored by his father's passing, so leaving was a relief for him. Sarai and I had no children, and as much as we loved our home, it would always remind us of that lack. We decided a change might be what our marriage needed, and we were worried about Lot and my father. So off the four of us went, united in our need for a new start, and sure only that Canaan was our destination. And things went really well for a time. I saw a lightness in my father, a straightening of his stooping shoulders I had associated with age rather than grief. My nephew Lot had begun to laugh again, not quite the practical joker he'd been before, but certainly better able to remember those wonderful stories of his dad. Sarai and I were relating better than we had in years. Although our commitment to each other hadn't wavered, neither of us realized how much pressure came from not being able to have children. I was my father's oldest son, his heir, and it took moving away from our homeland and becoming nomads to allow Sarai and me to take the first deep breath our lungs had felt in years. But our forward momentum stopped quite literally the moment we arrived at the city of Haran. Or to be more accurate, our momentum stopped when we heard that that unremarkable town that we had happened to pass through shared my brother's name. It was nothing more than a coincidence. My brother was not named for this city. To my knowledge, my father didn't even know of this place's existence before we arrived there. But when we learned it was called Heron, that this city shared my beloved brother's name, 
I saw the light go out of my father's eyes for the last time. And Heron, my father, pulled his grief around him like a blanket. While he was still loving and recognizably the father I had grown up with, his grief had become the core of his person. It was as if happening upon that city that just so happened to share my brother's name engulfed him and gave his sorrow free reign. From then on, despite my cajoling and Lot's quiet reasoning that this wasn't what his father would have wanted for any of us and Sarah's, Sarah's straightforward tough love, my father wouldn't be moved. And the three of us weren't willing to leave him, so we stayed. The four of us lived there in Heron for several years, existing, I should say, but not particularly living, stuck in grief and memories. After several years, my father died. We buried him there in Heron, and I still can't decide if that's ironic or comforting. But even after my father's passing, Lot, Sarai, and I didn't immediately leave. As I said, we were stuck. We didn't want to be there, but we didn't have any other plans. It was as though our grief smoothed away our ability to plan long-term and replaced it with apathy, with disinterest, with quiet acceptance. And it was in this state and in this place that God found me. It was there God spoke to me, even Though I was stuck so deeply in my grief, I had begun to think of Heron as my father's home. Here in that city that sucked us in like quicksand. The Eternal shared a remarkable promise with me for the first time. As I said, I don't remember if I'd interacted with God before this moment. If I did, it was nothing compared to this time when God came to me unbidden and took the most remarkable chance on me, me, just some guy from Babylon who is getting up there in years with a complicated family, no children, stuck in my grief. God took a real chance on me with this promise, but it must be said I also took a chance on God, this deity I had no real awareness of before this. We both took a risk that day. I still don't know why God made me his go-to guy. But I have a couple of theories. First, I wonder if God came to me because it was so clear that I was in need of a reason to move on. If it was clear to the eternal that I needed divine hands under my arms to raise me up and then lovingly push me forward solidly out of my grief. It doesn't translate well in your language, but God didn't just tell me at the beginning of this passage to leave or go. In actuality, God's command in the Hebrew is much more emphatic, more like, get yourself up and go. Pull yourself up. Pull yourself out of the quicksand. Unstick yourself from what should have just been a stopover point and start moving toward what's next. Go to yourself. The self you've lost these past handful of years, and leave behind what's familiar and not serving you anymore. Move on from death. Move on from barrenness. I have a new life for you, God said, 
new opportunities, new challenges. Yes, this unsticking comes with risk, but it's also full to bursting with new possibilities. And best of all, I will be with you and I will guide you. You're not going to be alone anymore. In fact, I'm going to bless you in such a way that you'll not only be an example to others of what having a relationship with me can be, I'm going to bless you so that through your descendants, everyone on earth will find blessing in that relationship. Now, of course, that last bit sounded ridiculous. It was well established that Sarai and I were not going to have children, but I wasn't going to argue with God. So as we both know, we both know the rest of my story, that portion of God's promise did eventually come to fruition. Although to this day, carrying the label of a great hero of the faith makes me uncomfortable. As you can see from my origin story, I was much less a hero and much more a wounded nobody God pulled up from grief and entropy. My second theory as to why God chose me has much more to do with the eternal than me. The macro, the, the big picture group approach to relating to humanity hadn't worked. God had gotten God's heart broken. So I wonder if God hoped that by pouring enough energy and focus into one person, things might go better. If making me a catalyst for the divine blessing for all people might be a little more manageable. If dealing with one human's free will might be a bit less exasperating than the cat herding that comes with working with a whole group of people. Perhaps God thought, God thought she was less likely to get her heart broken again. And I knew what it was to be heartbroken. So we had that in common. No matter God's reasoning, my being selected says much more about the eternal than it does about me. Our relationship was a freely given gift of God that certainly helped me and my family, but it wasn't just about me or about us as a family. Our relationship was about God finding a way to finally get the relationship she had wanted with her creation, to finally get that right, to finally offer the incredible gifts of love that are so much a part of who God is and have taken and have someone take her up on that offer. Despite the risks, despite the unknowns, despite the necessity of leaving what's comfortable and familiar for a future with much less clarity. Could God have gone to someone else with this offer? Of course. Would they have perhaps said yes quicker and done a better job of being in relationship with the eternal than me? Probably. Do I understand why God chose me, stuck in my grief and bogged down by my life, to be a blessing to everyone around me? Not even a little bit. But despite my flaws and my broken heart, God chose me to be the go-to guy. And for that, I am thankful.
Friends, this is a feast of joyful unity. Christ has gathered his people around the earth to commune at this table. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is God's table. So we gather at this table where everyone is equal. We gather around this table across political lines and economic lines, in places of powerfully protected affluence and among the poorest of the poor. We share a meal, remembering and celebrating the one who is the tangible heart of God. And so come to this table. Come because you have doubts. Come because you have hope. Come with your inadequacies and with your strengths. Come, for this is a table where all are invited and all are welcome. Now, if you would join me, and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, Father who, art who art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come. come.
God bless you with a distaste and superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger and prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go in peace. Amen.